Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we've got an episode all about dinosaurs for you. It's a dinosaur episode. And uh, I say it like that, even though we are not going to be reviewing Jurassic Park, (laughs) we're going to be doing a very different movie called Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend that came out in 1985. We are also going to review the TV show Dinosaurs and do a casting of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Now, that is actually one thing that is not from our past. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is a much more recent comic book that I believe came out in 2016. Yes, although Devil Dinosaur, which I believe was created by jack kirby correct uh came out a while ago so yeah i think he was in the 70s even yeah that could have been from our nostalgia even though i honestly didn't really know anything but he fit they fit with the theme so we you know we said fuck it we're gonna do it anyway exactly uh you know and and some of like the oddball stuff we can recast you know casting's kind of whatever that's a little bit almost like a free form for us mm-hmm. um and so i'm excited that one it's a re- pretty damn popular comic book and we'll talk more about that once we get into the casting section you know right now uh we are the first thing we're going to do is talk about baby baby secret of the lost <laughs> legend but i guess before we even dive into that john boy won't you tell us a little bit about 1985 which is a fantastic year because there was a really cool guy who got born that year and his name was adam and i'm talking about me uh, I must have missed that. That's not in my notes. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's just uh, maybe it's etched into your brain because it's such an important time in your life. Uh-huh. Sure. Yes, that's yeah. when my world was turned upside down. <laughs> I was no longer the only boy. They, they couldn't find perfection the first time, John, so they had to go looking again. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably an accident. Anyway. <laughs> Fuck you. All right, so Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend came out on March 22nd of 1985. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week uh, is a very popular 80s hit called Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Don't you forget about me. Oh yeah, that's a classic. That is like hits everybody's like, you know, there's if there's an 80s playlist, that is going to be on there partly mainly because of The Breakfast Club. Right. But it's just a great song. Yeah, everyone thinks of the 80s when that song comes on. Yeah. Uh I mentioned I believe the last time we talked about 1985, I mentioned that that was the year that uh Coca-Cola brought back the original recipe. Mm. <laughs> uh, from New Coke. ABC News thought this was so important that they interrupted General Hospital to break the story. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. <laughs> 1985 was also the year that uh, a young person named Carmela Vitali, I'm not really sure how I'm pronouncing that right, invented something very important. Adam, do you want to guess what that is? is this it? No, air conditioning's been around longer than that. Uh, I'm just thinking about that because it's Georgia and it's getting to be hot this summer. Uh, I don't know. Wi-Fi? No, no, that was Raquel Welsh. Didn't she have to do something to do with that? Not you know, fuck it. I don't know, John. <laughs> just, just, just. I'm not. I'm not gonna keep guessing. Or, or I should just keep guessing. Um, <laughs> did she invent Photoshop? No. No. Did she invent um, the bidet slash toilet all in one? No. No. Did she invent? Think smaller. Uh, think smaller. Think so- a koozie. 
<laughs> no. That's cool. Okay. Fuck it, John. Just tell, just tell us. Uh, she invented the little plastic thing that keeps a pizza from touching the top of the box. <laughs> oh, God, yes. The most important thing. I always don't. I never like it when that's in my pizza box. I, I don't know why. I just feel like it gets in the way. I but, know. I mean, I, I understand what it's for. But, granted, that's, that's a very, like, New York pizza kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Most, like, major chains don't do that. I feel like you have to have, like, a one... I think that if you have that, that means the structural the structural integrity of your pizza box is poor and made of poor cardboard, and you should look to invest in better cardboard. That's, that's just my two cents. Probably right. Yeah. <laughs> so also, lastly, in 1985, a man by the name of Har- Howard Schultz was sat down by his father-in-law uh, after they found out that they were having a baby, and his father-in-law told him, you know what, I think uh, it's time to drop this hobby and to get a real job. And Howard told his wife, and he's like, no, no, we're going to do it. And the next year, Howard Schultz opened his first restaurant called Starbucks. Oh, shit. <laughs> he did uh, He did just fine for himself, Mr. Yeah, Schultz. Say, yeah, he did okay. That was 1985. All right, 1985, fantastic year. You know what else is fantastic, Mr. John? We got a new patron. We got a new patron, that's right. Uh, I was going to say something different. Um, yours is more important, so tell us tell us about this new patron, John. All right, we got a new patron. Jeremy Michael Andrews joined us at the G.I. Joe level. Go, Joe! If you'd like to, to join us on Patreon and have, uh, have a, a movie of your pick chosen to be on an episode, or maybe even be on an episode yourself, you never know, uh, you can go to www.patreon.com backslash blastpasscast. That's right, that he gets the uh, opportunity to pick something for us, just uh, like our main man, Music Man, did uh, for our episode that we put, did not too long ago. That's right, Stephen Wilhelm. Yes. Ah! <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Well, not as important as a new patron, but we do have a new iTunes review. Which I need to start calling him a new Apple Podcast review because iTunes is dead. It's dying. <laughs> They're stopping it. But Apple Podcast review, which is... You know, the the app that a lot of people listen to it. Right. Our new review is written by Lemon Lou 22 I like that name. Nice. That's a fantastic name. Five-star review. Thank you so much for that. Lemon Lou 22 says, love listening to these two. Can't help but talk, but talk back to 90% of their comments during each episode. Lots of wonderful memories and some new points brought into, though on some of my old favorites, making me want to watch them again with new thoughts slash questions that the boys brought to view in each episode. God, that was one <laughs> l- long run-on sentence. <laughs> uh, and then also, definitely a must-listen. Sorry, defiantly a must-listen. All right, you got to work on some grammar there, uh, Lemon Lou 22 but fucking love your review. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Maybe he actually meant defiantly. Maybe he meant defiantly a must-listen. That, that is actually, that's much better than definitely. <laughs> All right, thank you to our new patron. Thank you to our new Apple Podcast review. Y'all are amazing. We love you. And we also love Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. Or do we? You'll hear next.
Baby Secret of the Lost Legend came out in 1985, directed by Bill Norton. He has done some TV movies and some other series and stuff like that, TV stuff. Uh, not really too many features or anything that I really recognized. Um, the biggest name in this movie, pretty much for me, was Jerry Goldsmith, who did the music. We've talked about him yeah. multiple upon multiple of times on this podcast. He keeps appearing. He was on Explorers, Inner Space, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. The man's done some good work. Star Trek, the original motion picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, actually, he's done tons of stuff. Oddly enough, I'll kind of mention this here since we're talking about it. Goldsmith actually really loved his score for this movie so much so that in like early '90s, when they wanted to release like a kind of greatest hits of Goldsmith album, they made him put some stuff from this movie on the album. Or right, yeah, he made that's awesome because he loved he loved his <laughs> score for this movie so much. Nice. All right. This movie stars William Cat as George Loomis, and you're probably wondering who the hell he is. For most people our generation, or you know, maybe you're, if you're a little bit older in, in listening to this podcast, you might recognize the name. He was the lead in The Greatest American Hero, which the only thing that anybody ever knows of The Greatest American Hero is the theme song. Yep. And the only reason I know that theme song is because there is a little TV show out there called Seinfeld <laughs> where George copied it for his answering machine. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home. That is a that the second I hear, believe it or not, I think of George's answering machine. I don't think of the greatest American hero. I'm just gonna do a quick plug <laughs> because I brought up Seinfeld. Sure. It, I'm a big fan of Seinfeld. I've mentioned it before in this podcast. My buddy Corey, who's been on this show with us a few times. He does it with me. We're going through every single episode of Seinfeld. Uh, the podcast is called Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. Please check it out if you haven't already. If you're a fan of Seinfeld, I can almost guarantee you'll like it. Almost. Almost. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, the character of Susan Matthews Loomis is played by Sean Young, who Sean Young, uh, she was Rachel from Blade Runner. That's probably her biggest role. Uh, but also, a lot of us probably know her as Lieutenant Einhorn from Ace Ventura. Einhorn, Finkel, Finkel, Einhorn, Einhorn, Finkel. <laughs> the character of Dr. Eric Kiviat, I think I pronounced that right, uh, is played by Patrick McGuhan. McGuhan. Mm -hmm can't remember how you pronounce it but uh to us he f is forever and he is you know best known as playing the evil villain longshanks in braveheart longshanks yes the king of england uh who ransacked scotland he was so good in that movie he was yeah he was fantastic he was a hell of a villain you kind of forget about his performance in like in the great like 90s villains um, or even just like, you know, the great villains in cinema history, you know, he's not like the greatest, but like he deserves, like I mentioned, you know, he is in the top, top 100 of, yeah. of film villains, in my opinion. Yeah. He was great. So, uh, and then Nigel Jenkins, uh, that 
character is played by Julian Fellows, who Julian Fellows went on to become a pretty good writer and a producer down the line. Uh, he is the creator of Downton Abbey. Oh, really? Very popular show. Yes. So he plays the uh, kind of like the sidekick of the villain, mm-hmm. kind of like the nerdy science guy that was that was with uh, Doc Kiviat. Um, but yeah, he also wrote the movie Gosford Park. He's a very, very British guy, and you could tell that from watching this film. All right. Do we have to get into the movie, John? Uh, yeah, that's why they're here. Okay. Uh, Before we get started, I have to tell you, not only had had I never seen this movie before, I'd never even fucking heard of it. You you put it on the list and I was like, what the fuck is Baby Secret of the Lost Legend? I don't know how you've never seen this because we own the VHS of this. Did, Did we really? I don't remember this at all. There wasn't even a frame of this that was familiar to me. Oh, I totally remembered a lot of it. Yeah, we used to. I used to watch it a lot when I was a kid, and I know we had it on VHS. That was the only way I would have watched it. All right, I yeah, uh, <laughs> I am not going to be able to hide my disappointment in watching this movie, <laughs> but I'm going to get through it, and we are going to talk it, do our scene breakdown. Uh, let's just get started to it. We start with a title card. The title card says, "In the equatorial rainforest of West Africa." Rumors persist of a huge reptile-like creature said to be larger than an adult elephant. The natives call it Mokele Mobembe. Numerous expeditions have been mounted in its pursuit. So far, none have been successful. All right, so that's our little setup. Uh, We open in a city in Africa. We see like a parade going on, uh, which I do find the parade interesting. You know, this kind of like the title credits are kind of still going on. Um, it's a long credit sequence. Holy shit, it's a long credit sequence. They keep going with the parade. And the thing is, like, luckily, you know, it's very legitimate African. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see, you know, a lot of uh, dances and, you know, interesting cultural stuff that, you know, I don't know anything about. And so I found that interesting. So I was kind of either hoping that it would just continue and that would be the entire movie. <laughs> Or it would end earlier because it did just kind of drag on and the pace of this film already was just like, oh, Jesus. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it was interesting stuff if you uh, can appreciate that, which I absolutely do. There was a very interesting part at one point where you see this uh, one guy is throwing up a kid. You know, this is obviously like the uh, specific dance and, and choreographed thing where he's throwing up a kid. He holds a knife under the kid, then like moves the knife away, catches the kid. And he kind of keeps throwing him up. Mm-hmm. That scared the shit out of me, but it was <laughs> cool to watch. At the same point that we see that, we see this old guy following this other old white guy. So we have an old white guy following another old white guy. And then just out of nowhere, he fucking stabs him <laughs> just with like a with like a big fucking chef's knife. Yeah. Like <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't even like anything you know, normal that he would be hiding in a pocket. It's just like, oh, shink. Here's a big fucking uh, chef's knife. Doom into your gut. I'm going to steal these photos that we see of like, a, you know, a Loch Nessy monstery kind of thing in in. Uh, in the jungle, which is obviously reptile-like creature that we that we read about in the uh, opening right. crawl. Now the the doctor, who we later find out one of them is the doctor, uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Kiviat, is actually loosely based on a real person. Okay, uh, it was a guy named uh, Doctor Roy Mackle from the University of Chicago, uh, who voyaged into Africa in search of le- uh, quote legendary living dinosaurs of the Congos. Oh. Apparently, this this was based on a real legend. All right. I mean, obviously, it doesn't seem like anything was found in real life. Nope. So basically, I mean, but this is like a based on real life. I mean, this is they should have put based on true events at the end of it. That might have made it more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe. Maybe. We then cut to, we're out in the country, in the African country, and we meet George and Susan. These are our two main protagonists. Susan's is a paleontologist. She's an assistant, um, and she's assisting this old guy, and we recognize that it's the old guy who stabbed the other dude. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, no subtlety there. You're a bad guy. We can tell that. He's apparently like this head paleontologist. Uh, she finds some skull, and he's like... Oh shit! You know she's she's like oh my god this is a new species you know this is this is something that's really cool and he's like no it's not it's just a fucking elephant skull or whatever the hell he says giraffe. he's trying to divert her giraffe skull that's what he says yeah which is you know pretty idiotic if he <laughs> if, which you know if he thinks that it'll actually divert her which it does not um, but you know he's trying to push her off the trail because he wants to find this hidden dinosaur all on his own mm-hmm. and he wants the credit. We find out that uh, Susan's husband, George, has gotten a job back in the U.S. And, you know, there's a whole kind of back and forth that, you know, she's upset because, you know, she wants to find, you know, all she wants to do is find her own dinosaur on this expedition. Uh, But he he wants to drag him back to the U.S. And we do find that uh, this other guy brings in an identical bone, which then makes Susan just, you know, really want to stay and figure shit out. Um, which then, of course, upsets the husband. It's just like, oh, my God, you know, okay, I want to go back and work. I'm tired of Africa. I want to be here and, you know, uh, stay here and be a paleontologist, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, hey, guys, do you know that it is possible to split apart and still be married for a little while? You start your job in the States. Susan finishes her paleontology workout here, and we meet back together in like a month or so. Doesn't that sound like a good compromise? To me, this seems like a really fucking bad marriage that they're just like <laughs> constantly bickering about this and they don't even they don't even once bring that up as an option. I mean, when you're when you're married, you're not married at the fucking hip to your person. Like, I don't, my wife's out running around, who the fuck knows where right now? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but she's not here and I'm podcasting and I'm having a good time. (laughs) I'm not saying I want her gone all the time, but it's possible. You can survive without them for a bit bit of time, not, you know, forever. Did that not bother you, John? It just felt like they had a really shitty marriage. No. No. I mean, obviously she didn't think that because they argue about it. They go to bed. When he wakes up, she's gone. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's kind of weird. She just yeah left a fucking note. <laughs> that was that was a cheap ass way to do it. Well, too. I, I mean, I think she figured that if 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 she tried to discuss it with him, he would either somehow you know convince her to not do it, or he would just complain about it. So it was just easier just to leave. I think that's still shitty. I think that's that they they need to go to marriage counseling. That's for goddamn true. <laughs> They say sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I'm with her. I think, you know, she had she has a legitimate clue right here. You know, she's got something to, to try on. And he just, you know, yeah. OK, man, it's OK. Go off and, you know, start your new job. Instead of doing that, he gets a charters a plane to go find her. And we get a very weird sexist scene with this uh, <laughs> yes. pilot. I can't let her get away with it. What would you do if it were my wife? I whipped the bitch. I I was a little uncomfortable, um, you know, from some of the quotes that he was saying. Yes, it's funny though because I was watching this with my wife, and it, they were so horribly sexist that it was making her laugh. Yeah, well, for me, they they were so horribly sexist. My wife, who was listening, was like, "Why the fuck did John make us listen to watch this movie?" <laughs> <laughs> That's true. She was uh, legitimately angry at you. 
<laughs> for making this happen. I didn't remember that scene. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. Let's see. So he finds her. Uh, she's out, you know, um, helping this African elder who's gotten sick. You know, she's like legitimately trying to help a guy and he's all pissed at her. Um, but this, oh, this old uh, African elder apparently ate something that looked like a dinosaur. I was even going to say dinosaur, <laughs> dinosaur that made him sick. Uh, so, you know, OK, we're getting clues. We're moving on. Um, then they get dropped off, you know, in this uh, area where they found the creature um, and they ended up kind of getting stranded by this like scared local guy. Um, it's kind of a eh, whatever scene, throwaway scene for me. But, you know, they, basically they're now kind of like stuck on this island. Um, and then they end up getting, of course, uh, surrounded by this native group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a tribe that lives there. And so there's kind of an interesting back and forth for a minute. And then Susan ends up taking out her Polaroid camera and takes a picture, which kind of startles them, but, you know, calms things down as they're getting all interesting. And then they all kind of become friendly. It's interesting. Um, I did kind of kind of like the scene where George was kind of with the other guys from the tribe. Mm-hmm. He, They were kind of eating each other's food. He was eating, you know, some kind of dish that they made, uh, which didn't, it was made of ants and crushed up ants and stuff that he didn't think was very tasty. And then they ate his granola bar and they didn't like that. The guy kind of actually very humorously spits it out, uh-huh. uh, hiding it from uh, George, which I, I did enjoy that. So that back and forth was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at night they end up, drinking this liquid, uh, which kind of makes them feel a little weird. They get a little drunk. And Susan ends up asking about the dinosaur, which then freaks out the tribe's people. And and they just kind of like, this guy makes a sound, and then they disappear into thin air. And then boom, they're just gone. Yep. I remember that scene very well. Kind of freaky. Uh, so, I, you know, half for a second, it's like, okay, she's drunk now. Did they dream this whole thing or something? Like, what's going on? That's what has happened. But they had befriended them, which comes back to us. Mm-hmm. They set up a tent, a thing that I thought was strange. We very visibly see her pop a birth control pill. Like she pops it out and swallows it. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, they previously had talked about children early on mm-hmm. uh, in the movie or earlier on where he wants kids and she doesn't or something like that or she's not ready for him at this time, um, that kind of thing. And we see her pop a birth control pill and I'm like, oh, okay, this will probably come back. You know, <laughs> obviously babies uh, are a theme here, which yes, the name of the dinosaur is going to be baby, but it's not the same. Like them having a baby is something which straight up John does not come back. There's no line that ties it back together. There's no, I'm going to defiantly throw my birth control pills away. Like there's no, or decision that, Hey, we just dealt with this big baby dinosaur. We don't want a baby anymore. I, I just, I thought that was interesting that they're having their own kids isn't something that legitimately comes back to us. <laughs> Maybe I'm sitting on this way too long. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> then I should. Okay, fine. So as George is trying to force sex on her that she doesn't want, what an asshole. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's being a little bit forceful. And just as that's happening, a fucking dinosaur in a very anticlimactic scene just comes in and like eats their tent <laughs> and just grabs it and like picks at it. And they watch and they watch the dinosaur and then it fucking cuts away. It cuts away to the bad guys. <laughs> that is the weirdest. Oh my god, the that editing pissed me off because this thing that they, you know, have been spending, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, the first 15 20 minutes of the movie searching for and like all the hype about, we see for a half second, we get a good look at it, but then as they see it and they're obviously going to go follow it or something, we just get a cutaway to the bad guys. <laughs> I'm like, "What the fuck? This is the most climactic point of the movie right now and you've just you fucked it all up by going to another scene." That 
<laughs> pissed me off storytelling wise. And it, it, it wasn't well done. You know, there should be a grand moment where they're seeing these dinosaurs or something where they right. sneak it up on it or track on it. Instead, it's just like, all right, it eats a, it eats a tent and then you want to stay on it. And then they don't. They're just like, yeah, all right. Nah, fuck it. Like that was stupid. Boy, that was stupid. Anyway, we just cut to the bad guys. The dino- the bad guys are on their way. They're going there too. That's all we need to know. <laughs> George and Susan track down uh, like the brontosaurus looking thing. And John, fucking John, we got to talk about these puppets and these dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, fuck. This thing, it looked so bad, particularly the movement. Anytime the dinosaurs had to run and, and move, uh-huh. it looked rough. <laughs> And I'm talking like I would have taken claymation, anything like that, way better than what they had, which is obviously two dudes in a suit, you know, (laughs) just running. (laughs) It was legitimately exactly that two dudes standing back to back uh, running in a brontosaurus suit. (laughs) And it looks god awful. (laughs) Yeah, the special effects on the dinosaurs isn't great. It does not hold up. It looks atrocious. It looks uh, I, I you know what? I'll go ahead and tell you my recommendation. Watch this movie if you really want to fucking laugh at some some guy's old school fucking dinosaur techniques. That was so fucking bad. Other than that, don't watch this movie. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's keep going. So Susan wants to go get a picture of it, and they end up finding a whole family. You know, you got a papa dinosaur, mama dinosaur, and a baby dinosaur. Um, and the adult dinosaurs get pissed off at the camera, and so George and Susan have to run away and... Then they end up, you know, they start to interact with the dinosaurs and they start feeding them. And they have a little bit of a montage of getting closer with the dinosaurs. And they want to end up putting a transmitter on the baby. Uh, Our bad guys catch up with them, with everybody. And they end up finding the dinosaurs and they tranquilize it. They tranquilize the mama. And the other adult dinosaur is fucking pissed. Uh, (laughs) And it comes up and they end up shooting it to death. So it's the bad guys have this mercenary crew with them. And so they they shoot the uh, daddy dinosaur to to all hell. And so he's dead, Uh, which, you know, pisses off Dr. Kiviat and his buddy. Yeah. um, Because, you know, they want They want to take them alive, you know, because that's that's their whole thing. They are still paleontologists, for God's sake. Well, they they have he has that one kind of line where he tells the the colonel or whatever. There's obviously like whatever country they're in, uh, Congo or something like that. They're obviously like either mercenaries or military or some sort of militia because mm-hmm. they have like they have titles like colonel and you know yes whatever. And uh, he tells them like this is the only one in the world. And the colonel points at the one that's tranked. He goes no. That's the only one in the world. <laughs> yeah, I do want to. I, Which I thought was that was a good that was a good line. I did like that. Yeah, guy. Uh, I do want to point this out. Even though it, he doesn't really come back at all, one of the guys in the mercenary group is a guy named Eddie Tago, who played in one of my favorite sort of uh, '80s satire movies called Top Secret. Oh yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. He played, that's that's oh good. One. He played the character of Chocolate Moose. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I remember that dude. And oddly enough, that guy uh, stopped acting. I think sometime in the '80s, late '80s or early '90s, maybe. And he was he before he became an actor, he actually was a reflexologist, and he became a reflexologist for one of the top uh, football clubs in Britain. Oh, cool! And so, so he's good at what he did. Yeah, so that's that's what he's been doing since like the mid '90s. Okay, cool. A scene that I don't want to pass, which I thought was hilarious. George goes up and confronts Dr. Kiviat, uh, and he's like talking to him, like, you can't do this. And one of like the militia guys just comes up and judo chops him <laughs> right in the neck. 
I fucking died. I was just like, holy shit. They just like a legitimate judo chop. <laughs> and he goes down. Oh, and I, I thought that was funny. And as they're about to, you know, they're going to kill George and Susan. You know, they got the guns ready. You know, even Dr. Kiviat says at this point, you know, we don't take prisoners. And it's like, oh, shit. Okay, this this dude means business. Uh, right then and there, the tribal group who dis, who disappeared on us earlier comes out and saves the day. Have a little battle scene. Yay, they are saved. And then we cut to a scene which is kind of creepy. We see these vultures picking at eating the dead dad. I thought yeah. that was a bit, a bit disturbing, but you know, I get it. Um, and the baby is there, and the baby's all fucking sad about it because, you know, at the time where the bad guys were attacking the parents, Jordan and Susan had the baby, and they are kind of holding it back and keeping it from getting caught, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so the baby is really, really sad about, you know, his, his dead dad. And I would probably be sad as well if the puppets didn't look so fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, everything about them made me just either angry uh, that a film like this could be made um, or disappointed in... in you know, knowing that this movie had some kind of budget and just right. still couldn't do shit. Right. So apparently the, uh, the animatronic tail on the baby wouldn't work, <laughs> but it didn't matter because when they, when they moved it forward, the tail ended up just moving on its own anyway. Uh, yeah. Just flopping. I mean, it was, God. when that baby runs around, it's just, <laughs> Oh, it is rough. Uh, so Susan wants to take, take care of this baby. Um, but she also wants to, you know, catch it and take it back before Kiviat so it can be her discovery. And so it's like, okay, you're still being a little bit uh, selfish here. And like, you want to just try and beat Kiviat to, to the punch and be like, okay, no, I found it first. <laughs> the only thing that also kind of pissed me off, they kept, you know, saying, using the word discovered and they're discovering these dinosaurs. Right. And it's like, no, you earlier served a guy who had eaten one. Uh, and so I think they probably have known about them. Uh, and then also you just met this entire tribal group uh, who have known about them. You haven't discovered shit. You're only saying that because you're a fucking white person. And that kind of really did piss me off uh, because it's like, no, you haven't discovered shit. It just, I, I thought that was... Uh, hypocritical to use that word <laughs> that's fair like columbus discovering america yeah yeah exactly discovering a land with people already on it yeah yes it, absolutely and yet we fucking honor him every year which is bullshit get rid of him give it give it to something else oh it's indigenous people's day now yeah. actually which is good i do like that they changed that yeah so all right so there yeah we're, we're on our way all right so <laughs> they end up putting a leash on baby and hilarity ensues they can't you know Ha ha ha! They can't really pull it, and it's stronger than them. And at one scene, the baby now wants to sleep with them in their tent. Ha ha ha! Hilarity ensues. Uh, and then at another time, they're like making out, and they're about to do it just in the middle of the jungle. Uh-huh. And you know, the baby is kind of in, interrupting. Ha ha ha! Hilarious. Uh, I did find it strange. They kind of push the baby away, and then they start banging anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is supposed to show that. You know, this is kind of like how it is having a real baby in real life where it's just going to interrupt everything you do. That's my guess is, you know, the baby dinosaur is not so subtly is acting like a baby in their life because they talked about wanting to have kids. Uh, and so I think this scene is just, you know, like, a haha, the baby's going to interrupt everything you do, even your lovemaking in the middle of the jungle. Um, so, John, when you were lovemaking in the middle of the jungle, uh, did your children ever interrupt you? Uh, no. <laughs> Okay, good for you. Well, this one did. George and Susan weren't so lucky. But then also my uh, children are not like, you know, seven feet long and probably weigh several hundred pounds. All right. Well, while they were busy doing it, 
you know, they were doing the horizontal mambo, you know, uh, having a whole, an old roll in the hay, you know, doing the no pants dance. Uh, you know, they were making bacon, if you will. You know, they played uh, hide the cannoli, the old lust and thrust. You know, they were paddling up Coochie Creek, you know, having a, a game of old pelvic pinochle, you know, doing some bow chicka wow wow. They lose the fucking baby. <laughs> it wanders off while they were busy doing that. Fucking hell. Anyway, they, they go to try to find it, uh, and instead, they see the bad guys with the mama dinosaur, and they get seen uh, as they're trying to release her. You know, they try to go up and, and actually release her. It doesn't happen. They get caught. Here's something that pissed me off. Oh, just just one thing? Just, yeah, just one thing. Earlier when they were caught, Kiviat legitimately says, we don't take prisoners, and what happens right in here? They are taken fucking prisoner instead of just being shot on sight, which they should have been done, which Kvyat should have done. Instead, it just I don't I don't like that incongruent side of his character. That that mm-hmm. pissed me off. So anyway, just throwing that out there. There's there's my one thing uh, about not liking this movie. Okay. There's more things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so. The doctor tranquilizes and ends up killing the general or like the colonel or whoever, like the leader of the mercenary group. And he frames George and Susan. He's trying to like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck he's trying to do. But, you know, I really have no idea why he's keeping them alive right now. But he does that. uh, And then he says he can track the freak. Somehow also, God damn it, another thing. He also somehow knows about the baby dinosaur. How? I have no fucking clue. Yeah, that part was confusing. Yeah, he calls out like saying like, oh, hey. You guys, I know you've been watching this baby dinosaur, and there was no explanation as to how he knows it, but whatever. And he says he can, you know, backwards engineer the the frequency, or he can follow the frequency, you know, on his own tracker. Um, and so they end up tracking the baby down, but somehow George and Susan have this little helicopter battle, and they push a dude out of the helicopter, and they end up fighting off two mercenaries each. And I'm like, how the fuck do these mercenaries get beaten up by, you know, two people who don't know anything of martial arts or don't know how to fight? Like, these guys obviously weren't trained for shit because they both, they both, like, they just start taking down mercenaries right and left. I, I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> they end up, they jump out the door into the river at some point. They get to the baby and they take it to a cave. And then we have a kind of a weird scene where these bats are all, you know, attacking them in the in the cave. You know, at one point there's a bat in uh, Susan's hair. It's like going nuts. And the baby grabs it and pulls it off and like throws it off of her as if to protect her. Like this this baby has a much better brain and is better at protecting her than George is. That's for sure. <laughs> I thought it was quite strange. Like, OK, I guess it I guess it can understand, uh, you know, what is attacking her and how to fix it and all this kind of shit. It, it was just. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. This is one of the fastest reviews I know I'm going to ever do, I think, in the show, just because (laughs) I want to get to the uh, finish as as fast as I can. They get to this waterfall, and the bad guys have ended up following them in there, uh, and so now they have to jump. This waterfall should have killed them instantly, but it doesn't. Instead, they hop out, but one thing I do have to call out Instead of having the dinosaur suit jump off of the waterfall, George turns around and pushes it. And there's obviously nothing in it. It is just like an empty puppet. And it just kind of like keels over, you know, without moving or anything. It just looks ridiculously bad. 
you know, I, I, I I'm, I'm honestly in awe at, at every new thing that, you know, is just making me stop and be like, oh, cringe. There's that. And, and you know, somehow they survived this waterfall, which is BS, as I mentioned before, because they never should have fucking survived it. As George and Susan gather themselves, the baby swam uh, to be with its mother or left over that saw its mom. Uh, and so it went over that way. And so now the bad guys have it. Okay. <laughs> That was a whole lot of fucking nothing for that. It just it was just all of a sudden they they kind of get out of the water. They're like, oh, the bad guys have the baby. Okay, like, well, how the fuck? How the fuck did that happen? God damn it! All of now the the native tribe and the charter flight guy, the sexist charter flight dude, is there, and you know they kind of have to plan to rescue the dinosaurs you know that's mm-hmm. that's what they have to move on to they end up infiltrating the camp of the bad guys there's this whole battle scene and they end up releasing the mama and susan after she releases the mama she says sick him as, <laughs> as, as if it's a fucking dog that understands her commands already and i'm just like wow uh but the the mama dinosaur does <laughs> like it ends up hitting like power lines onto the the nerdy guy who haven't really even talked to, like the sidekick dude. Right. Um, you know, the creator of Downton Abbey. He gets electrified. He's dead. <laughs> and then the mama goes uh, down after the baby, which the baby is now in this cage in a truck being driven by, as a Kivian or Kiviat, whatever the fuck his name is. And so there's this whole now chase scene where the dinosaur somehow runs down this truck. You know, there's no way this guy doesn't have pedal to the metal. And this dinosaur runs down a fucking truck. Like, John, how the hell is that even possible? Well, I'm going to tell you how it's possible, Adam. A couple things. One, that truck was weighed down in the back with a baby dinosaur. Uh-huh. Two, did you see that truck? It was very old. Okay. Three, the mama dinosaur didn't adhere to the to the road. It just barreled through everything. Also didn't adhere to physics, in my opinion, at all. Uh, which is so strange because that mama dinosaur is so fucking much bigger than that truck. I want to know how the hell did the doctor end up sideswiping the mama dinosaur and like pushing it off the road and, and, and ends up pushing her into a house. And that doesn't make it, that dinosaur is way heavier than that fucking <laughs> truck. It should never have been able to just kind of like push her into, into like this house and, and her, and she's basically taken out at this point for a little bit. You gotta build suspense somehow in the chase. God damn it, John. My suspense and my disbelief and all that shit is way out the window <laughs> by now in this movie. It is not even fucking an iota left. <laughs> now Susan and George end up catching up on a motorcycle and she's got like a fucking hatchet <laughs> with her. And as opposed to him just sideswiping them, he just doesn't end up doing it. And they end up going to the side of the truck and she puts the hatchet through the window, which causes the truck to crash. Now at those speeds, he would be fucking dead. He didn't have a uh, seatbelt on either. It right. looked like. And so he was out of the truck, but he somehow is, is survived at this point. I have no fucking idea how the mama ends up coming over and the mama kills the doctor. Yep. Yay. A little bit of revenge there. Hooray. And the baby looks like it's dead right now because that's the weirdest thing. The baby, you know, looked like it was dead from this car crash. And yet the doctor was not dead. And I was like, that didn't make any goddamn sense to me <laughs> at all. But whatever. Uh, the mama kind of nudges it and it wakes up and they're all together. Yay. Uh, Susan has to be like, no, don't go with me. Go with your mom. And I'm like, of course it's going to go with this mom. That's fucking stupid. Uh, <laughs> Everything was fucking stupid. The baby and the mama walk away, and that's the end of the movie. Thank the fucking gods. 
This movie is done. Let's go into our final thoughts. John, I'll start because I'm, it's obvious how I felt about this. Right. I did not make that any more clear than I've made anything else in this entire podcast that we've ever done. People, <laughs> anyone listening to me right now, this movie is god-fucking-awful. God, G-A-W-D, god-fucking-awful. Don't you ever watch it. I'm talking to you. You do not watch this movie. And John, don't you ever make me watch this shit again. I swear I will fucking kill you. <laughs> I want to give everybody some context, which I was shocked that this was not the worst movie we've ever reviewed. So this movie has a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is really bad. Uh, but some other ones that we've had that we've talked about and some that we haven't have not hated as much as this. I can tell you every single one of these that are kind of down in that area. I liked better than this one, but most of them, uh, none of them, none of them I actually liked, but they were all superior to Baby Secret of the Lost Legend, in my opinion. So some other ones in that kind of 13% range on Rotten Tomatoes. Masters of the Universe has a 17%. So, like, you know, that's that's an Oscar-nominated compared to this one, in my opinion. Uh, Howard the Duck has a 15%. You know, again, at least that one had, uh, you know, Leah Thompson. There was some cuteness there. I enjoyed the songs from that one. That was a much better movie. And then Supergirl, so far, has had the lowest rating of any movie with 10%. So I was a little bit shocked that that was worse because, I, I mean, that's a, that's a bad movie. That's for damn sure. That ain't Baby Secret of the Lost Legend bad, I'm telling you. So, anyway. All right. That is my breakdown of Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. John, someone who has actual nostalgic value for this film, allegedly you said we owned it. I don't remember that, or I burned it from my memory. How about you tell us your thoughts? Folks, don't listen to Adam's bullshit. <laughs> oh, God. Adam's harsh on everything. I am not harsh on everything. Yes, you are. Anyway, this is, we're not... I we're, defended... We're not about... I defended Brink... We're not about okay, you fine, fine. We're, not, we're on me now. All right, fine. Yeah, we're on you. Okay. You're trying to, time to shine. All right. Is this a good movie? No, absolutely not. It doesn't hold up in any way. The, it's very slow in its pacing. It's it, The animatronics are really, really bad. The writing's not all that great. However, I have talked to <laughs> multiple people that are about my age and a little older, because this movie obviously came out when they were little, not you, since you were born in 85, <laughs> uh-huh. who had completely forgotten about this movie until I mentioned it, and then they, a whole flood of nostalgia just came back about how much they remember seeing this movie. Uh, if you've never seen this movie, you're not going to get anything out of it. My, I mean, that's going to be the most of the cases with anything like the, you know, that we watch. But if you have a nostalgic love for it, keep it there. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. However... <laughs> I put this on the thing knowing you were going to hate it. Oh, why would you do that? Because there are other people, there were people other than me who also remembered this movie. It took me a long time to figure out what the title of this fucking movie was. I just remembered it with the mm-hmm. as the baby dinosaur movie for a long time. Yeah. So it was, it's been in the back of my head for a long time. I knew this wasn't going to be a great review, but you know what? There's going to be other people out there who remember the movie, who remember it fondly and nostalgically. And you know what? For a little, you know, six to seven year old John, it was perfect. It was a great movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the baby dinosaurs because I hadn't seen anything like that before in, you know, in the mid to late 80s. It wasn't until Jurassic Park came out that we're like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And that wasn't going to mm-hmm. be for another eight to ten, you know, eight to nine years later or whatever. So mm-hmm. to me, this was going to be a, re- a revisit back in a movie that I probably have not seen in 20 years. I knew it probably wasn't going to be great, but 
I still enjoyed the process of going through it and remembering scenes of, you know, seeing something like, oh yeah, I remember this. I remember when the tribe disappears. Um, I remember when the baby sneaks into the tent. Well, I remember when the, the, the mama dinosaur eats the bad guy at the end. Mm-hmm. This was much more for a revisit, a revisit into a, a movie that I hadn't seen in so long. So that's why I chose it. I didn't give a shit whether you were going to like it because I knew you were going to hate it. <laughs> this was this was a nostalgia one for me. Good. And um, and I'll probably never forgive you and ever at again. your 40th birthday party. I'm going to rent a giant screen <laughs> and show this movie. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm never turning 40, John. <laughs> Fuck you. Because <laughs> right. that means the movie will be 40 years old then, too. <laughs> oh. All right. Let's talk dinosaurs from 1991 to 1994. This show lasted four seasons, a total of 65 episodes, and it aired on ABC. Uh, This show was created by Michael Jacobs and Bob Young. Michael Jacobs uh, has some other kick-ass shows that he created. He created Boy Meets World. He was the creator of Charles in Charge and created My Two Dads. Okay. So pretty prolific. uh, Yeah. You know, TV show creator there. And then Bob Young was a writer and producer. And, you know, he, he worked on a lot of things with Michael Jacobs as well. So he's uh, he's got his shit together as well. This show is very much a typical, you know, family sitcom style. Uh, you know, it's following a very specific family um, and kind of getting through different life comedic events. Uh, uh, the only main different thing is uh, this is set in an alternate reality where dinosaurs are intelligent, and this is a dinosaur family uh, that are basically living like humans, mm-hmm. set way you know way back in the day. That's the gist of dinosaurs. Uh, the dinosaur costumes were designed by Jim Henson Studios, mm-hmm. and apparently this is the one of the last things that Jim Henson kind of envisioned and worked on before he passed in 1990. Yeah, which is definitely unfortunate. You know that guy would you know. What came out of his mind and and his studios was just freaking incredible. And to you know his part, the costumes and the puppets and everything in this show are really good and very nostalgic for me. Yeah, I mean they they hold up pretty well. I mean you can tell it's mm-hmm. animatronics in the face, but it still works really mm-hmm. well with the show. Yeah, it does. You know they they look solid. Uh, you know they they they're just people in suits for most of it and just kind of walking around and that's fine. But they yeah they move well. You know they. We see, you know, emotion in their faces, and and everything works really, really well for the for this show. Uh, Dinosaurs stars uh, Stuart Pankin as Earl Sinclair, the father of the house. No, not a word. I don't want you thinking. I don't want you thinking up some stupid reason why me being chief elder isn't the best thing that ever happened. Uh, and I remember him best uh, from Xenon, a girl of the 21st century. In the Disney made-for-TV movie, he was the commander of the ship. He was in all three, the trilogy, uh, which I know you've never seen those. Nope. He was... Also in a show called Not Necessarily News, which I've never seen. I actually hadn't even heard of it, but it seemed like that was went on for a good little while. Fran Sinclair, uh, the mother and wife and female lead of the show, uh, was play- was voiced by Jessica Walter. Well, I had a rather interesting day. Do you want to know about my day? And she is definitely best remembered to me as uh, either the mother in Arrested Development or the mother in Archer. Mm-hmm. She's basically the same character <laughs> in both, both of those shows. But she is fantastic. And actually, she is quite good. I like her. And I like her character 
a lot, quite a lot yeah. in this show. Um, she's, you know, like a lot of family sitcoms, she's definitely the most level-headed and most intelligent person in the family, uh, where the dad in this one is definitely not. <laughs> he's definitely, a you know, somewhat of a bumbling idiot, but he's also very much a asshole misogynist that is something that i noticed yeah. right away it's basically uh it's basically the honeymooners yeah because he's got that uh the buddy the t-rex i cannot remember his name mm-hmm. um, uh, the uh, character's name is roy yeah which it's basically that it's the honeymooners it's those two guys mm-hmm. yeah. they're kind of acting that same way yep that's true uh robbie sinclair who was the eldest son and i always liked his look he looked cool he kind of had like that you know, the spiky mohawk kind of looking thing. Yeah. He was probably my favorite dinosaur design, or at least, you know, as a kid, I always thought he looked pretty cool and hip. Yeah. And he had like that, you know, Letterman jacket right. style he, the entire he, time. He had so. the sleeves rolled up on him or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He looked good. Uh, he was voiced by Jason Willinger. Yeah. See, girls love animals because they're cuddly and cute. You meet a girl in here, she's in cute mode. Uh, nothing really of note from him. Um, he's done plenty of stuff, or he's done some stuff, but nothing really I need to call out. Uh, Charlene Sinclair, the daughter, who, to me, had to have influenced Meg yeah. from Family Guy. Yeah. Like, they looked like all, they were almost the exact same character, <laughs> except Charlene wasn't made fun of as, as badly as Meg is. Right. <laughs> In the family. Shut up, Meg. 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 Exactly. But uh, Charlene was voiced by Sally Struthers. Oh, I feel fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Nothing wrong with me at all. I'm just not leaving the house anymore. Are we, Claire? Who uh, most people probably know her as Gloria in the show All of the Family. She was one of the daughters. And then she kind of got famous for doing, like, you know, infomercials. In the 90s and right. gaining some weight and stuff. and uh, This know. surprised me. I had no idea it was Sally Struthers doing the voice. Yeah. Uh, and then Baby Sinclair, who 100%, I can almost guarantee, Baby Sinclair influenced Stewie in Family Guy. <laughs> had to have. Right. Uh, this Baby Sinclair was like everybody's favorite. That was voiced by Kevin Clash. Whoa, I'm naked. Who's the mama? Where's the mama? Who Kevin Clash, we've talked about before when we talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He voiced Splinter on that show, but he is well-renowned and known as the voice of Elmo for a long, long time in Sesame yeah. Street. I mean, if you listen to it, it's basically the same voice. Oh, hi. Well, it's still not time for Savion's dance class yet, but while Elmo waits, Elmo will imagine... Elmo already knows how to tap dance. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here Elmo goes. It is, yeah, absolutely. It's it's the same voice with a little bit more articulation. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit. I want to go into the opening and the theme song, uh-huh. uh, which I really liked it. Uh, basically, it starts off with, like, you know, you hear this dinosaur walking through the forest, and then out, out comes Earl, and he goes, Honey, I'm home. And then we get a very instrumental, just montage kind of thing going on, right. you know, of, of different scenes or whatever throughout the, the season. Uh, but it just, it, to me, it works really, really well. Um, I, it it fit, felt like a, you know, an old school classic opening right. to a, a, a sitcom. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed that. Um, there was some really good old school humor going on in this show. Uh, some like stuff that was like based on history. Like I remember... In the first episode, there was a newscast where the guy was like, and there's a comet coming to kill everyone. Wait, no, it's not. <laughs> so basically like playing on some like old history stuff. Uh, and also in that same episode, 
Robbie questions himself. He says, it's the year 60 million and three. Next year is 60 million and two. What are we counting down to? Which I thought was fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's, that was a good joke. <laughs> it was really cool. One thing I did find funny. So the, the, the news anchor that you often see whenever they watch mm-hmm. TV, his name was Howard Hand Up Me. Hand Up yes, Me. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> that was a, a, there were a lot of good puns yeah. and that kind of stuff in this show. And I thought that was great. Well, uh, most uh, of the is, last yeah. names are names of petroleum companies. So like Sinclair. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Hess, yeah. Phillips, BP, like they're all, they're they're all yeah. referencing you know natural gas companies. Yeah, which is hilarious because dinosaurs ended up turning into oil right. and that kind of shit. So it makes but makes all the sense in the isn't world. Isn't it Sinclair that has the green dinosaur as its uh, yeah. logo? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I will say you mentioned BP. Uh, BP was the name of the boss. Yeah, I always liked scenes with him. Uh, you know, Earl was uh, a tree pusher. That was what he did by trade. And at times he would have to go into like this trailer and talk to his boss. And I always loved the way his boss would yell yeah. and just kind of be very animated. And he was like this big triceratops and super intimidating. Uh, he was voiced by Sherman Hemsley. Sinclair, I am a great and powerful dinosaur. And you, well, you're a puny nothing. Who... Uh, we would all know is George Jefferson in All in the Family and the Jeffersons. His voice just works so well as the boss. I, I fucking loved every scene with him. Yeah. One thing that kind of, uh, I, I don't know why they made this joke. In the very first episode, before we first meet the boss, they talk about going in there, but they don't want to go in there because he has big teeth. But when you go in there, he doesn't have big teeth. He's got big horns. Yeah. But he doesn't really have big teeth. So I don't know if, yeah. uh, I don't know if they filmed that before they had the puppet for the boss, and then they ended up switching it up because um, they they only make that reference in the very first episode. So mm-hmm. maybe that's how maybe that's what happened. That's very possible because you know those scenes you never really saw Earl with the dinosaur or with uh, the boss at all. You know the boss's angle was always just like a, a single shot that they could have shot way later and added in and be like, oh wait, no, this Triceratops works really well here. Right. You know that was maybe against script, but yeah, very possible. I always wondered so. how the hell he got in there because he takes up the entire. <laughs> <laughs> of the room absolutely uh even like later you see like there's like a hole in the top of the of the thing because his horns kind of like <laughs> stuck through it and stuff like that because the dude is so big some some other interesting side characters from the show we mentioned roy roy is earl's work friend well earl if the world had ended last night i could have overlooked certain things but unfortunately it didn't. He is voiced by Sam McMurray, who's done tons of stuff, but nothing I could really call him out from. Ethel is Fran's mother, and she at some point like comes and like lives with them. Yeah. Um, and she's very sassy. Yeah. You want to open your mouth, or you want me to feed you to a pterodactyl? Uh, I always remember enjoying her. She was voiced by Florence Stanley, who again also has done tons of stuff, but nothing of note. Uh, and then Robbie. His best friend is Spike, who the voice of Spike was actually a guy who we would definitely know. I think you used him in a casting at one point. His uh, Chris Maloney oh, yeah. from Law & Order SVU did the voice of Spike, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm very impressed. This is the cutting edge of cruising technology. Uh, some other funny things that I definitely liked about Dinosaurs uh, was that anytime that they were talking about dinner or anytime they like opened the fridge, we always saw these little like little mammal hairy arms going out, like going crazy (laughs) or chase or, you know, they had to chase their dinner, shit like that, which I always thought was pretty good. Uh, You know, humorous. Yeah. It was a fun gag. (laughs) I don't imagine PETA enjoyed that show (laughs) thinking about it, (laughs) but oh well, eh. the biggest gripe I have about this show 
is something that I remember from our childhood, and that is this show is 100% to blame for everyone, and boy do I mean everyone, saying the line, Not the mama! (laughs) Not the mama! 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 Everybody said, and then hitting somebody on the head, right. like that was what the what the baby Sinclair did to Earl, like almost every episode it seemed like, and that became it's that was the I Carumba, you know, that was the you know whatever like Bart kind of Simpson esque right. lines that they had that worked with this show for ba- the for the baby, and it was just like holy crap, <laughs> you know. I remember when we were younger, I thought the baby was hilarious, mm-hmm. and. Now that I am a parent, yeah. I way more sympathize with the parents than I do with the baby. Yeah. And to the point where I'm like, oh my God, discipline the fucking baby. <laughs> yeah. However, that still didn't uh, that still doesn't mean that it wasn't hilarious. Yeah. It's still funny. The one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, this show had no laugh track. You yeah. know, like a lot of sitcoms of the day had a laugh track. This one didn't. I honestly thought rewatching it now. I kind of wish they had a laugh track. Okay, I think it would have helped. Yeah, it was a yeah. it was a little stagnant at times. Yeah, that's and that's really all it came from is is there were some very quiet moments where I felt like a laugh track would have helped, but they didn't do it that way, which is fine. There was also just in general some of the humor. I actually really did appreciate watching it. They had some really good like meta humor going on. They broke the fourth wall a lot of times, like seeing that now. They weren't afraid to kind of like make fun of themselves or, or just kind of like let people know that they knew they were a bit of a TV show. Mm-hmm. The writers would allow that. Uh, and it was good. I actually really, really appreciate that as an adult. And so I enjoyed watching that part, that aspect of the show for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you said before, like same kind of thing, the very fourth wall break or, you know, meta style humor, the news anchor's name, the hand up me, like, right. you know, that's just, that's a perfect example for anyone out there. Uh, Hulu has the show. And so it's got every episode. If you guys want to watch it, um, it also includes ish episodes that were in syndication that never aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like pretty much in Hulu, the show ends in uh, season four and it only got to like season episode seven of season four. But in in Hulu, they end up going to like episode 13 or something like that. Okay. But the last episode in Hulu is not the last episode of the show, uh, which I do want to talk about the last episode of Dinosaurs. Uh, I ended up watching three episodes in this one i watched the very first episode one pretty much smack dab in the middle and then i watched the last aired episode not Mm -hmm. the extra syndication ones uh what about you uh i watched the first two episodes first i always try to watch the the first episode as possible and then i just kind of looked on a list of what were the best episodes and the second one was listed Mm because that's the first time the baby says not the mama okay and then i ended up actually watching a clip show Somewhere around season three. Ah, okay. So, cool. which was a little bit of a clip show, but they added a weird twist to it that actually made it a little slower for me. So, ah, uh, okay. Yeah, there was. Uh, I watched the middle one that I watched was um, a one about this weird plant that like everybody gets addicted to and just makes everybody happy. <laughs> it's it basically like it was a call out to, to weed. And it was very interesting. And at, at the end of it, I really did appreciate like the fourth wall break because like, you know, at the end of like every sitcom where they do like drug episodes, they always like kind of turn to the camera and say like, don't do drugs, kids. And so Robbie was talking it and he kind of like walks, quote unquote, offset. And he's like, 
hey guys, don't do drugs, because when you do drugs, we have to make stupid episodes of this show. <laughs> we don't want to do that for you, so just don't do drugs, okay? And like, it was just, it was hilarious. <laughs> and like, please, please help us stop having to do drug-themed uh, episodes of sitcoms. So good night. And I was just like, oh, that that was funny. And, and, and an interesting take yeah. on how to how to word it. So do you by chance remember the series finale? I don't. Okay, let me tell you how kind of fucked up it is. <laughs> <laughs> so a very comical show, but the episode itself ends very fucking depressing. So industrialism and non-environmentalists are have like killed all of these fucking bunch beetles and so these bunch beetles were eating off these poppies and these plants that would like have rapid growth that was going on and so they've kind of gone wild uh and so to stop the plants from further growing this company the we say so company which is the one that earl works for mm-hmm. uh creates this poison to kill them uh to, to get and it gets sprayed everywhere which uh, the poison ends up killing all forms of plant life and so like oh fuck all right, well, now we got to get some clouds to get some rain. How do we make clouds? Oh, we'll drop bombs in a volcano to make clouds, and that makes big black clouds. Well, what the big black clouds that end up doing is not making rain. Those aren't rain clouds. It ends up covering the earth, you know, with these dark clouds that we're not getting enough sun. It's bringing on a new ice age, basically. Uh, And so now it's bringing on an ice age where everything is cold as shit, and we get uh, a couple very interesting lines where... Earl says, you know, After all, dinosaurs have been on this earth for 150 million years. And it's not like we're going to just disappear. But the way he says it, and obviously it's very meta, and we understand what the hell's going on. (laughs) um, it It was just a bit depressing. And then we get one last news anchor sign off. And taking a look at the long-range forecast, continued snow, darkness, and extreme cold. This is Howard Handupme. Good night. Goodbye. God, was that fucking depressing, too. Uh, basically just saying, like, we're all gonna die. And it had a very environmentally env- environmentalist message about it, which I do appreciate it. It was just... So fucking depressing for the end of a show to just be like, all right, the ice age is happening. You're all going to die now. Everyone on the fucking show is now dead. (laughs) That was just dark. It was a dark way to to take it. (laughs) (laughs) So I do recommend kind of watching like the last scene just to kind of jog your memory. You don't really it's not something that you remember from the show, but I found it interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll I'll go into my final thoughts. Okay. If uh, unless you have anything else you want to add. Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, I thought the show was was pretty okay. You know, um, I thought I was going to end up going back and like really loving it because I definitely remember watching the show as a kid and I remember liking it. But really, I just kind of thought it was okay. Yeah, I do really, really appreciate the meta humor, the fourth wall breaks. I highly respect the puppets, the animatronics and the costumes. All that is fucking killer. But I don't think this show is one that. I want to go back and rewatch personally. You know, it had some moments here and there, and it's not a bad show, and I still like bits of it. But, like, as an actual, you know, solid-ass sitcom without the gimmick of 
the you know the Jim Henson puppets, I don't think I would like it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was some good writing in it, and so I, I definitely think people it's probably worth a spot to go and watch it. And in, at the worst, maybe go and just watch how fucked up that ending is that nobody remembers. <laughs> uh, besides that, the show was was fine. I you know I definitely appreciated it more than the movie of Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. That's for goddamn sure because that was a piece of trash. This show was much better than that. So yeah, that, that's what I have to say. Um, I actually, this is one of the few shows I remember us watching as a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would uh, sit down, you know, with our mother and 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 watch the show. Probably when it came out, when you know when it was airing. I I also kind of had a, a fondness for it going in. I was expecting it to be better than it was. Same mm-hmm. as you, um, it wasn't bad. I might go back and watch a few episodes. Uh, I haven't really introduced my kids to it. They might like it. But uh, overall, I didn't cringe sitting through the episodes but i did find myself sort of wandering away from from the stuff so i think some of the stuff just didn't hold up and you're probably right adding a laugh track would have helped but that being said it was funny it had it had its moments and it definitely had its place in in pop culture in its time so i can respect it for that pretty damn good assessment This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur. It's Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur! Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur knocks you out as he moves about. Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur, he's real nice till you roll the dice. Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur, yeah, he's a silly beast to say the least. He got me, he got you, not me! Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur, be lucky and smart or it's back to start. Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur! All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're actually going to be casting uh, a comic book that only recently came out a few years ago, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Now, Devil Dinosaur itself actually came out a a long time ago, and I believe we mentioned, I believe was... uh, created by Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. and Moon Girl was created by Amy Reader, Brandon Montclair, and Natasha Bustos. Bustos, Bustos, Gali? Bustos, Bustos, Gali. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's actually gotten some traction as far as popularity goes. It technically takes place inside the Marvel Universe, even though it's kind of isolated within itself. Um, it still mm-hmm. takes place within the, the normal universe. I'll kind of lay out the sort of general idea of it. I don't want to you know spoil too much about it. Um, so Devil Dinosaur was a comic that came out a while back. He had a, a sort of a primitive person who he connected with named Moon Boy, mm-hmm. and they they fought against the, um, the killer folk, which was the tribe mm-hmm. of other primitive people that was the enemy of the hill folk or the short folk. I can't remember. I think it was the hill folk that Moon Boy was from, and that was a lot of what those comics were about. And so what they did was they brought devil dinosaur and moon boy essentially into either the present day or really until that uh, to the modern marvel universe moon girl is this uh actually you know what i'll explain each character as we kind of go through okay. each one but it's a it's a very interesting comic book it's very kind of cartoony and it's in yeah. it's in it's writing and drawing and stuff like that but i still found it enjoyable uh the characters that we're gonna do actually kind of covered 
two different stories, even though the stories kind of take place back to back in the comics. But it, we're going to cover both of those just so we have enough people to to uh, uh, to cast. So obviously we're going to cast Moon Girl. We're going to cast Devil Dinosaur, even though he doesn't actually talk. <laughs> yeah. And I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Moon Boy, Thorn Teeth, who is sort of the head of the killer folk. He's like the, the chieftain or sort mm-hmm. of. And then later... In the story, we meet someone called Kid Cree. Uh, we're also going to cast Miss Marvel because she plays a, a part in this mm-hmm. comic, and we're going to re- we're going to cast Hulk, but it's not the Bruce Banner Hulk. It's a, a, a Hulk called Amadeus Cho, and we'll t- I'll talk about each one a little bit yeah. as we get to each one. Yeah, his tag is uh, the totally awesome Hulk. Yes, that's that's kind of his uh, his line or his, his name. All right. Let's. I figure. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Yeah, I, I just want to add one minor thing. Is yeah, I really didn't know anything about this comic book going into it. Um, I haven't really been an avid reader of Marvel in a little while, so I didn't know about this. But like, I did. I did try to do plenty of research. Mm-hmm. So I watched a whole bunch of kind of like background things that told me about different stories um, about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It, it actually now has kind of made me pretty damn interested in the storyline and kind of curious where to see it goes, or you know, if they do end up giving moon girl or devil dinosaur their own show or movie down the line i totally think it would be interesting and whatnot so uh, yeah i I was i I was happy to get uh introduced to this new comic so thank you for that john cool so in the story uh while after sort of devil dinosaur and moon girl meet a lot of havoc ensues and uh moon girl who's a uh you know she's like a teenager when the after the dinosaur sort of wreaks havoc uh the hulk comes in to kind of Kind of discipline her and, and tell her that she needs to you know stay in school. That kind of crap. Uh, but the Hulk is not Bruce Banner. As I mentioned, his name is Amadeus Cho. He's a uh, like a 19-year-old sort of Korean scientist who is billed as the eighth smartest person in the world. Apparently his brain is kind of like a supercomputer. Yeah. Um, so he does like equations like crazy fast, like super smart yeah. dude. And apparently, unlike Bruce Banner, who always kind of shunned away from his Hulk status... Uh, Amadeus Cho like embraces it and like uses it mm-hmm. to his advantage for his popularity and everything, which you can uh, obviously yeah. see in the totally the name the totally awesome Hulk. <laughs> mm-hmm. So any he, he gives off just a little bit of a different vibe. Yeah. Plus, he, there just aren't that many Asian inspired characters, so this was a mm-hmm. a great change I thought. So we're gonna start with yeah. him, and Adam, why don't you start us off? Sure. Uh, I didn't do far a far stretch for my Amadeus show. I kind of wanted a, an Asian American actor mm-hmm. who has kind of played smart people before, and he does have a fairly young look, which I kind of wanted to keep fairly true to the comic. Um, I went with a guy named Alex Landy, who has been in Grey's Anatomy, playing a young doctor on that show, and he's got a good look to him. He's actually, you know. A uh, pretty well-fit guy, so I think he could transition to Hulk pretty easily if needed. If they needed to just paint him green like Lou Ferrigno style, mm-hmm. they could make that happen. But <laughs> I know it would be—I know it would be CG if they did it. Uh, but anyway, I think um, you know, doing Grey's Anatomy, you kind of have to have a good mix of acting in there. So I think he had the exact look that I was hoping for. So Alex Landy is my guy. That's a good choice. I definitely looked at him. Um, ultimately, mm-hmm. I decided to go a little bit younger since uh, Amadeus okay. Cho is. Uh, is a little bit younger, so I went mm-hmm. with a young. Well, he's not so young now; he's in his twenties, I imagine. But he could play, you know, nineteen without any problem. Uh, who was probably most famous for, oddly enough, playing the adopted son of Jessica Walter, who we just talked about in Dinosaurs in the TV <laughs> show Arrest, Arrested Development, uh, and he played On Young 
Booth. Anyang. Anya, which is Anya. Anyang. Which is a shorthand for saying hello in, uh, in Korean. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, so, that's what I was doing. I Sorry. <laughs> so I went with uh, Justin Lee. Okay. Justin Lee. I have not seen him recently, but I, I think that totally would work. And, oh, looking at him growing up. Yeah. He's got a perfect look for yeah. it. And wow. he's been in quite a few comedies. So I think sort of the laid backness of Amadeus Cho would fit him pretty mm-hmm. well. Yeah. It's really going to come down to, you know, how does he look? How how do they do with the the Hulk CG and all that stuff? Yeah, it's not going to be a huge part, so I yeah. think uh, you can go a lot of different yeah, he, a lot of different routes, but he um, just kind of pops in yeah. from time to time, so. Yeah. No, I, I I like that choice. I might like it probably a little a little bit better than mine. Okay. Um actually, let's go to Kid Cree. So, the okay. story with Kid Cree is um this is all taking place around the time of the um Terrigen Mist in Marvel, mm-hmm. which is, you know, turning Inhumans into all kinds of stuff. And Moon Girl thinks she's an Inhuman. She's trying to cure herself from possibly not having to, you know, turn into something if, if the mist catches her. Terrigen Mist, I believe, um, is something, was that a Cree creation? Or the Inhumans were a Cree creation? No, in, yeah, yeah, Inhumans were a Cree creation, yeah. like way back. And so there's this young Cree uh, by the name of Melvar. He wants to prove himself to his father, so he decides he's going to kind of go and uh, either kidnap or kill a an inhuman and the one he picks mm-hmm. is moon girl and so he kind of disguises himself because he's also about the same age as moon girl he disguises mm-hmm. himself as a human and inserts himself into moon girl's class and then he keeps trying to kind of abduct her or capture her and it never quite goes the way it's supposed to because you know it's kids and then uh, Miss Marvel is the one who kind of breaks up the the fight because it's kind of they mm-hmm. kind of the Avengers see it as sort of like a, this is a kid fight and so they're breaking it up mm-hmm. so that's how Miss Marvel plays into it so let's kind of um, let's cast Kid Cree I'll go ahead and go first we don't have a, a good track record of uh, casting kids not to say it's a good track record it's just sort of like an indifference <laughs> we just we just kind of go with people who we think uh, would work and so I went with someone who actually has also just played a superhero in the DC universe. He played young Billy Batson. I went with Asher Angel. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I didn't watch, I haven't seen Shazam yet. I'm going to just get it on, I'm going to Netflix it <laughs> uh, and we'll enjoy it there. Okay. So we went with slightly different ages. Okay. It looks like, I think, I'm sure he could do this. He, he kind of looks like, especially if he's already done superhero stuff before, uh, he would work. I went younger. Like, okay. I saw, and, and I can see if you're going around this age, this teenage age for Kid Cree, you're probably doing something similar for Moon Girl. Mm-hmm. My Moon Girl is, I wanted her to be like a preteen. Like kind of, you know, she's, I think she's 10 years old in the comic book or maybe nine even, but she's fairly young. Right. Uh, and so I had that age in mind. And so I, I cast that age. And so my Kid Cree is also in that age range. Um, and so I did a young actor who actually I thought fits perfectly with Kid Cree because as I was watching Kid Cree, man, I totally got like a weird Sheldon type of vibe from this guy. Okay. And so who did I cast? I cast Ian Armitage who plays young Sheldon. Okay. And I think he would be a perfect Kid Cree. Yeah. For going younger, that's a perfect choice. Yeah. I could totally see that. Kind of that same, kind of honestly that same annoying tendencies. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He's he's it's not a stretch for him, so I know I could just kind of have him do it, but I think he fits pretty well. All he's right. proven it. Cool. 
So let's uh, go ahead and cast Miss Marvel, who is sort of the the other hero that shows up in this sort of part of the story. Miss Marvel famously is uh, Muslim. Uh, I think they kind of the new Miss Marvel that kind of took over, uh, which was really good. So mm-hmm. I had a hard time because she's actually fairly young. I had a hard mm-hmm. time finding anyone who was specifically Muslim because I I wanted to be as true to it as possible. Gotcha. Um, who was an actor who was that young who spoke English or who I knew spoke English. So I ended up casting a little bit older than I normally would, and I don't know that she is Muslim per se. However, she was just on screen playing in some sort of uh, Middle Eastern Arab. Uh, I went with uh, the new Princess Jasmine, Naomi Scott. Oh, okay. She is a little bit older, but yeah, she's got she's got a young look to her face. I think could work. Yeah, and she was wasn't she the Pink Power Ranger? Yeah, she was. Okay, okay. I didn't bother with the the newer. Got uh, yeah yeah yeah. I mean, so she's got some action in her as well. So I'm sure she would be up for the task. Yeah, no, beautiful girl. Uh, obviously, solid actress. I have no interest in watching the Aladdin remake, and almost no interest in watching the recent Power Rangers. So. I won't really know her body of work, but she seems to be a knit girl right now. So cool. I, I saw Aladdin. Kids wanted to go see it. Uh, what's your What's your two cent review? It was okay. It was okay. Yeah. All right. It was enjoyable. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Um, I also wanted to do a you know fairly young actress. Um, I think I went. Yeah, we're actually right around the same age range as you did. Um, okay. So not super young, but you know in those in that mid twenties. Right kind of kind of vibe so um i went with an actress who had a very kind of small part in the second season of stranger things but i thought she was pretty good i think she's got a lot of potential and she uh, i think has a a really perfect look for what i'm wanting uh miss marvel to be i went with linia berthelson she's a danish act danish actress but um, i believe she has some kind of either indian or Middle Eastern heritage or something, um, and I think she's uh, going to be perfect. You know, she she did a pretty good job as Callie in uh, in Stranger Things, but I think she's uh, going to be a kick-ass Miss Marvel when they cast her because I bet you know they're going to listen to me. Marvel does. Marvel listens <laughs> to me, John. I know this. Oh yeah, she's totally got the right look for it. I can yeah. totally see that yeah, too. She, yeah, a little bit younger cool. than uh, a little bit, lo- or at least looks a little bit younger. I looks, think she does look, but she was she's twenty five, so okay. she's actually like you know maybe a year younger. <laughs> Uh, I like my choice, but I think your choice probably okay. fits Miss Marvel a little bit better. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, so now we're going to go on to Thorn Teeth. So the first part of the or the sort of opening story that we see for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is that she they find she finds this device which she uh, thinks is a Kree device. We also see it simultaneously in uh, Devil Dinosaur's universe. The killer folk sort of worship it and they sacrifice people. They sacrifice the hill folk to it because uh, they think they need to or they'll be cursed. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you'll have to kind of read the the story to see how. But Devil Dinosaur and some of the killer folk get pulled into the pre- at the time present day Marvel Universe, and so uh, they uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur spend a lot of time fighting the the killer folk who are trying to steal the uh, device back from Moon Girl. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of back and forth. One of them is Thorn Teeth. He's sort of like the head guy because this is such a weird, interesting premise. I kind of had to decide how, like if I was actually going to make a movie with this, I probably would focus just on the uh, killer folk 
aspect of it mm-hmm. and leave the the kid Cree Miss Marvel spot for oh, okay. a, a you know another yeah. day or probably this would be good for maybe like a Disney Plus series. Oh uh, yeah. I don't think you need a whole a whole 2 hours to tell the story mm-hmm. that happens. You could probably do it in half an hour. I mean honestly, yeah. this could almost maybe be like a sitcom, mm-hmm. but I would I would focus on that being like the first episode per se. Yeah. And cool. so Thorn Teeth, Thorn Teeth, I I wanted some you know veracity in him. I wanted him to look intimidating, and so I went with someone who looked intimidating as shit. And we almost had the same casting with him until I changed him <laughs> to someone else. Uh, but I think he would work well in this sort of aspect. I went with uh, Rory McCann, aka the Hound. Yeah, he is definitely intimidating, and he's you know worked with prosthetics before and wearing armor or whatnot. And Thorn Teeth, you know, would probably have a bunch of. Uh, prosthetic hair and shit like all around him because as being like this kind of like semi neanderthal ape man or whatever kind of right thing that that group is uh yeah he would probably work he's definitely he's definitely good as an actor um he's definitely intimidating so yeah i'm cool i'm cool with that one i like okay. mine better but i'm cool with that one. okay cool uh i went with an actor i really didn't struggle too hard on this one i was trying to find people who have done either cg characters or or, you know, prosthetic kind of beast characters before. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like looking through the, you know, the Planet of the Apes people, that kind of stuff. Um, other ones have done like that. And then it like hit me, okay, maybe I should look at like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And so uh, in The Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, there is a character named Bolg, who's one of like the main villain orcs. Mm-hmm. I went with the guy who played Bolg. His name is John Tui. So okay. he d- he's done CGI and kind of, CGI villains specifically before, and he's done them pretty well. And so uh, he is my thorn teeth. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's a good choice. I personally, I like mine better because I think it's more of a name. Mm-hmm. More of a, mm-hmm. You're all about the names, John. Oh my God. What a, you're so fucking Hollywood. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> all right. So let's go on to Moon Boy. Uh, Moon Boy, we meet uh, when we first meet Devil Dinosaur in the series. He's the one who's been with Devil Dinosaur since, uh, since the beginning, since the early comics in the 70s. And he kind of, spoiler alert, dies at the beginning of the comic. Mm-hmm. And that sort of enrages Devil Dinosaur. And you have to kind of continue on. Um, so it's not going to be a big part. It's going to be happen very quickly. In truth, you probably would just find anyone to do this mm-hmm. since it's a short part. However, I wanted to you know put a little extra thought into it. You know, he's young because it's Moon Boy. So I went with a young actor who is probably most famous for playing Henry in the show Once Upon a Time. I went with Jared Gilmore. I have seen nothing really that he's been in. Yeah, he looks he looks like a like a teenage-ish kind of kid, and I'm sure he'd be fine. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have anything to say about it other than I'm sure I'm sure you did an okay casting. Okay. I went with a guy. I kind of remember seeing Moon Boy doing being somewhat funny at times, uh, so I kind of went with a semi-comical actor, and I also kind of had the look in mind of you. You remember the movie Jumanji from the '90s? Yeah. When the the boy in that one gets turned into like a half boy, half monkey. Right. That's kind of what I was looking at for the look <laughs> of Moon Boy. And for some reason, I think this actor kind of like has that look and would transition into like half boy, half monkey very easily. His uh, He's most famous 
for being in, in Stranger Things. Maybe I was riding the Stranger Things <laughs> train after casting my Miss Marvel. I went with Gatton Matarazzo. Uh, he plays Dustin. He's he's very funny. Um, he's, I think, around 16 or so right now. I think he would be uh, an awesome moon boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I used him for something. Yeah, yeah, he, I believe he was cast before, and I, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was by you. I can't remember what I used him for, but I do remember using yeah. him. Yeah. All right, no, that's okay. that would totally work, especially if you're using cool. like a really young moon boy. All right, so now the interesting one, uh, Devil Dinosaur. He's a dinosaur. Yeah. He doesn't really talk. Yeah. However, I don't know, I might play up a little bit of a, because they're, they're, uh, later on in the story, uh-huh. there develops a little bit of a link between- mm-hmm. Uh, between Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl, and I don't know. I part of me thinks I might use like some sort of psychic link, so you, so in her head, maybe she hears him talk. Okay. But either way, I went with someone who could do both. He could make dinosaur noises, and he could do other ones. Uh, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. I went with Frank Welker. <laughs> yeah, I was curious if you were basically had us do Devil Dinosaur just to get old well, Frankie Welks. I- I, I did look around, um, and okay. I, I actually thought about using uh, the other guy who's very well-known for doing animal noises, which is D. Bradley Baker. D. Bradley, and oddly yeah. enough, D. Bradley Baker did voice Devil Dinosaur in the, huh. the kids' Marvel show Superhero Squad or whatever it's called, uh-huh. where it's sort of like a, a kind of a young kid's version of the Marvel Universe. And okay. in an episode that had Devil Dinosaur, he voiced Devil Dinosaur. All right. But, you know, a big movie. I'm going for the big guns. I'm going for Frank Welker. Yeah, and you got to send the best, and Frank Welker is the best. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic call. And I think it makes, if I had the money and if I was the producer, he would be who I would have gotten. Uh, but I wanted to get somebody different. Okay. Just try to envision like, okay, if this guy, if this devil dinosaur needed to talk, how would he want to talk? So I went with uh, someone who hasn't done dinosaur noises, but he has been a gargoyle before. Oh. Now he wasn't the main gargoyle. Uh, this guy is actually probably more known now as playing a weird, dumb starfish. <laughs> uh, he's Patrick and SpongeBob, but he's done kind of like, you know, he's always had he has a silly voice, but he could make it, you know, somewhat dinosaur, but I kind of still like the silly somewhat aspect. Basically I was thinking very Broadway in Gargoyles, his voice from that. So I went with Bill Fagerbaca as my devil dinosaur. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like to be interesting. So this is a kind of a weird tie in to Gargoyles because you just made me think uh-huh. about this. So in the episode that I, I did actually watch it because I wanted to see how D, D. Bradley Baker, how he went around. And it's, it's very silly, very cartoonish. So not really what I would be doing for this sort of thing. But in that episode, it's Devil Dinosaur, Moon Boy, and Wolverine, and they run into mm-hmm. the High Evolutionary. Mm, and the okay. High Evolutionary in that episode was voiced by another Gargoyles alum, Jonathan Frakes. Oh, shit. <laughs> he has a good voice for that. I like that. Yeah. So not yeah, a, and well and Frank Wilker did the voice of of Bronx the dog on Gargoyles. So yeah, so everybody everybody touched Gargoyles <laughs> back in the day. Yep. Good shit. Everybody ties in. All right. So we're on to our main character, uh, Moon Girl, whose name is actually Lunella Lafayette is her is her actual name. Okay. Um she gets the name Moon Girl because uh, she's so smart in class, the other kids make fun of her. They call her Moon Girl for some reason. And I'm sure it's just so they can tie it into Moon Boy somehow. Yeah, yeah. But her name is Lunella, but, you know, Moon Girl is what she goes by. So uh, I will I'll go ahead and start. Why not? Well, I do want to, want to bring up uh, something about her. So she is ridiculously smart. Yes. You kind of You kind of brought this up earlier, but, like, she was able to solve this, like, unsolvable problem 
puzzle, kind of like the what is it, the Kobimashi, Kobe. Kobayashi Maru right. from like Star Trek, that that kind of similar thing that Amadeus Cho brings her like this banner box is what it's called. And she like knocks it out in like a couple seconds. Right. And he's like, holy shit, I'm the eighth smartest per I'm the eighth smartest person in the world. And you might be the smartest person in the world, basically. Right. They're telling us that this, you know, young kid might be an utter top level genius, like with Reed Richards, Iron Man, and like her, you know, right there as well. So mm-hmm. that's pretty freaking cool. I, we can already tell she in the car uh, in the comic, she is a, a nine year old girl. Um, I did go mm. a little bit older, okay, uh, for teen years, but she would work perfectly. She's a great actress. We've seen her do a whole bunch of things. I first saw her in Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm, um, mm-hmm. She was in Twelve Years a Slave. She's uh, she was Annie in the new Annie. She's done some voice work. She's a great young actress. She's got a bright future ahead of her, um, and I can never pronounce her name correctly. I went with uh, Cubanzane Wallace as my Moon Girl. Yeah, definitely checked her out. I was thinking, debating her, but she was a little bit older than I wanted to cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely thought that she would have been a fantastic choice. Pretty much, you know, if I was going that age range, I wanted her or Marci Martin uh-huh. from Blackish, who she's a hell of an actress too, and she, I think, would fit perfectly. But either of them, that's, that's a really good call, especially if you are doing that older age range. So good choice there, John. Okay, cool. I went with, a, as I said, a younger actress, someone who I think, you know, wanted trying to keep that, you know, around 10 uh, vibe. Um, so she's not as... You know, well known as Cuban Zalia Wallace, but she is a good little actress. She was in the movie Wonder with um, Jacob Tremblay, and I think it was Julia Roberts or somebody. Um, and she was she's also in this PBS show called Odd Squad. Uh, she's young, very talented little actress. I went with her name with uh, Millie Davis as my Moon Girl, and I think she's got the right look, and she's definitely in the age range that I wanted. Okay, uh, I've not uh, really seen her any of her work, so I can't mm-hmm. uh, account for that but she definitely has the right look and mm-hmm. she's uh, you know looks like to be about the age that you want so i'm sure that's a great choice yeah i'm sure it's a great choice too <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to see if uh obviously we're going we're here we're thinking that this is, needs to be a show on disney plus i think we've kind of yeah. agreed on that so we'll just see whether disney wants to go the younger route or like the teen mm-hmm. route and we'll see we'll see which one they go with pick me disney pick me <laughs> Uh, overall, I thought this one was actually a lot of fun, just because it was something's yeah. completely different. It was sort of uh, sort of an out there, out of the box casting. Yeah, it was. It was fun. I ha- I haven't had to do like a good bit of research for one of ours, one of these castings in a while, right. and so this was kind of fun to be like, oh man, I don't really know any of these characters other than Miss Marvel, right? Uh, and so I really gonna have to look these up, and I had I had to really kind of like, all right, let me Wikipedia them, let me watch any YouTube videos of anything that they you know may have done in other you know, videos or whatever. And so that was actually a quite enjoyable spot. And now I'm really enjoying the character and like, shit, now I think I need to go buy, you know, a couple trade paperbacks to, to get into Moon Girl. Yeah. All right. That was our casting of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Please join us next time for another top 10 episode. Adam and John go over their top 10 favorite game shows of the 20th century. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.